Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Jesus, you are utterly glorious, uh, beyond our comprehension, and yet you have chosen to make yourself known to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that when you left the world and ascended to sit at the right hand of your Father, where you intercede for us, you did not leave us as orphans, but you left your Holy Spirit with us. And we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you go with us wherever we are. You are before us and behind us and you're in us. And we are so grateful that we serve a God like you, that we don't serve a dumb idol, that we don't have to come and make constant sacrifice, for you have paid the price so that we never need to. And uh, we are just so grateful that you are so tender and compassionate to us, Lord Jesus. We are, that you are patient with us, that you remember how we are formed, you remember that we're dust that you never break a bruised reed or snuff out a smouldering wick. How tender and gentle and gracious you are with us. And it's you we come to now. And we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us, to lead us, to take away the scales from our spiritual eyes so we see you a bit more clearly, so that we know you and experience you. And Lord, we're thirsty for you. Lord, we have have tasted what the world has to offer and it's nothing in comparison with you. It always goes dry in our mouths in the end. But you satisfy utterly, completely, eternally, And so we come to you, the source of living water, and we ask that you will refresh us and equip us and envision us and send us out to do the work of an evangelist, which is what you call us all to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are doing a short series at the moment, just looking at evangelism and the last couple of weeks Owen's talked really powerfully about just the concept of going from the great commission of what Jesus said to us to go and to to make disciples of all nations and baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then Jesus saying and lo I'll be with you always even to the end of the age and we had that really great joy for those of us who were with us last week at the end we went to Hernhill Baptist Church and we baptized Andrea and Georgia and uh, it was was just a it was just a great thing to be able to do to see new life to see Jesus still in the business of changing lives today bringing death where bring life where there was death salvation and uh, he's in the business of doing that still and he has caught us up in that great mission as well And I don't know about you, if you've ever had the chance, if you're a Christian here today, and you've ever had the opportunity to speak to someone about the faith, 
If you've ever had the opportunity to lead someone a little bit further down on their journey towards God, you will know that there is nothing like it in the world, that sense, that feeling. And God graciously has chosen to include us in that process. He could just write his name above the heavens, but he chooses to use us and to join us with that great mission that he's on of making his name known, of making his name famous, of bringing hope where there is despair. And so this morning we're going to just look at a passage uh, from the book of Acts and we're going to look a little bit at a little part of uh, one of the great evangelists' lives and that, of course, probably one of the, the greatest evangelists in the Bible would be the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to look at a little part of his, of his uh, second missionary journey. And so we're going to read from eight, uh, Acts chapter 18, a small passage, and then we'll look at, God, uh, at what God has to say to us through this. So Acts chapter 18. So Paul has been in Athens, and he's just now travelled on on his own to Corinth. He's left his co-workers uh, back in Athens. He's travelled alone to Corinth. And this we pick up the story at the beginning of chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, and recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, so that's the emperor, emperor Claudius, had commanded all the Jews were to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so Silas and Timothy are two of Paul's key co-workers, when they arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Tatius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptised. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. I thought that was a clap for a moment. I mean, you can clap the the scripture. It's a good thing to do. Um, It was Cruz making his contribution, wasn't it? Bless him. Okay, out of the mouths of babes, that's what they say, isn't it? Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a geography lesson. So there's a slide coming up. Um, and uh, it's a, because it's a bit bright today, we can't see. So I'm going to do a bit of a point-to-point point job for you. So here's Corinth. 
just there. And Paul, in his second missionary journey, which took him about, um, well, it took him about a year and a half to get to Corinth. So he'd started off from here in Jerusalem, and uh, he travelled all the way round here, round this province here, which is called Asia, and which is not our Asia of today. It's actually Turkey. So that's that whole area there is now what we would call Turkey. In the days of the Bible, it was called Asia. Sometimes it's referred to as Asia Minor. And he travelled all around here, probably travelling and stopping off at about 14 different places before he got to Corinth. And so all the way around then to Corinth. He's been in Athens, which is just here. And he's now just travelled to Corinth. And in most of the places where he stops, and lots of them are listed there, so places like Berea, Philippi, Sardis, Antioch, he's planted churches. There's some rough estimate that in a sort of a nine to ten year period, Paul was directly responsible for planting at least 20 churches. And then out of those 20 churches, many others were birthed as well. And uh, he travels around, bearing in mind that that's many hundreds of miles and no public transport like we would have today. And in a year and a half or so, he reaches the town of the city of Corinth. And Corinth, you can't really see very clearly, but Corinth, it was a port, so it was just on the edge here, and, and uh, it was sort of the link port between uh, the main part of Greece and the bit that's called the Peloponnese. It was a very busy place. It was a very multicultural city, uh, extremely multicultural, very pagan city. It was the headquarters of two of the, the, the gods, if you like, uh, that the Romans worshipped and the Greeks worshipped. So one of those was Epaphrodites, uh, and so there was quite a lot of, um, of sexual activity in the city because Epaphrodites was the god, of, the god of love, the god of passion. And so there was quite a lot of uh, sexual activity in the city. And then the god Apollo. And so Paul comes to this very multicultural, multi-faith city. Does it remind you of anywhere? <laughs> and he comes to this city having been on... Uh, this journey, this is his second journey, and his first journey has already been around some of these churches once. He's now on his second journey around them and to many new churches as well. And this is the Paul who has already been imprisoned <coughs> and experienced an earthquake when God comes and causes an earthquake to open the prison doors and release the shackles on his feet. This is the Paul who has uh, argued and debated with philosophers in Athens and with the leaders of the Jewish church. This is the Paul who, when he was broken free from prison and the jailer said to him, you can go, said, I'm not going, I'm a Roman citizen, you get the magistrates here and they can escort me out of prison. This is this Paul. And yet, do you know the thing that I found really, really interesting when I read this passage, was that towards the end of it, God says to Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we find out from one of the letters Paul writes that he had been terrified when he got to Corinth. Trembling. This great evangelist who'd planted churches who'd seen off philosophers, 
who'd insisted that magistrates come and escort him out of prison. Terrified. This is what it says. So when Paul travels to his next city, to Ephesus, he writes to this church in Corinth that he's currently at. He writes back to them and he, he, says, he says this. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. But this is the Paul who's just, who's just been planting churches, who debates with philosophers, who insists that magistrates come and escort him out of prison. And yet he's trembling. He comes with trembling and weakness. I, I like this map that's going to come up now. This is another map that just shows some of his journeys. They've done it like a tube map. It's great, isn't it? And so the blue line just shows you the places that he had already been to on this second missionary journey before he got to Corinth. The red one shows the first journey. So he'd, as I said, he'd already been around to some of those churches and some others. And then the blue line just shows you where he's already been before he gets to Corinth. And this great apostle is also then going to do a third journey, which is the green line, which is going to come a couple of years later. All of this within a period of about nine, nine years. This great apostle who had experienced the voice of God on the road to Damascus. And yet he's trembling when he gets to this city. He's trembling. We can think of Paul as this great spiritual giant, and in many ways he was. But his letter to the church in Corinth gives us a bit of an insight into how he felt. He was a man who acknowledged his weakness. But there was something stronger than his weakness. There was something much stronger. He talks a bit later in that letter to the Corinthians about being compelled to preach the gospel. He uses this lovely little phrase. He says, he says to them, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's like, my life's not worth living if I don't preach the gospel. There was something stronger in Paul than his trembling fear. And it was the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. It was the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that he says, when he writes to the church in Corinth, he says, I didn't come to you with wise or persuasive words. Do you know, that's exactly the approach that he'd taken in some of the other cities he'd been to. In fact, in the city of Athens, where he had been just before he got to Corinth, that's exactly what he did. He used wise and persuasive words with the philosophers there. And it says that some of them said, well, we'd like to hear you more on this. And others said, well, not interested. And it's thought when you read, when you read what the commentators write, it's generally thought that actually there wasn't a lot of fruit 
to that particular work in Athens. And that's not to say that, that sometimes it's the right thing to be ready to give an answer for those who ask us about the faith we profess. It's right to have answers. And, and we're grateful for clever men and women, much cleverer than me, who are able to argue the case for the reliability of the Bible. We call that apologetics. And Paul was an apologist. But in Athens, it didn't work. And it's almost like you wonder whether Paul gets to Corinth and he's just lost all his confidence. He's tried this arguing stuff out in Athens and he gets to Corinth and it's just, that doesn't work. I, what's, what's my strategy here? And yet he is compelled. He is compelled. You know, as I read the passage, some things came to me that I just thought might be helpful for us. Because there is comparison for us. You can almost sense that as Paul walks into Corinth, and maybe the strategy in Athens didn't work so well, I don't know. But he walks in and he's just overwhelmed, maybe, by what he sees. He's on his own. There's no church already established in Corinth. It's not like he can go and attach himself to a group of friendly Christians because there aren't any Christians yet in Corinth. He's on his own. He's overwhelmed. His last strategy didn't seem to work. And you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, it can feel like that for us a little bit. You look at the size of the city we're in and you think, how do we touch something like this? We were driving back yesterday from um, a New Day meeting. So uh, Jenna and Owen and I were at a, a meeting about New Day. And we were driving back. And at one point, um, we were in a little bit of traffic. And I looked out of the window. And uh, there were all these um, uh, uh, guys sitting outside cafes. And they were smoking. Is it called Hook? hook, hook? What's this? Yeah, that's it, thank you. That, that one, one of those. They were all smoking those, and, uh, and I thought, gosh, you, you could be absolutely anywhere here. Um, and actually, we were on the Edgware Road. Um, but you could be almost anywhere in the world here. And, and I looked and just thought, wow, the enormity of, and the complexity of this place where we live. How, how on earth would we reach people like that? with the good news about Jesus. How would we do that? And sometimes we can feel a sense of being a bit overwhelmed. We're in the city, and it just the, the issues, the complexity, it just seems mind-blowing. Let's see what, what Paul can bring us to give us encouragement, what God can bring as encouragement to us as we face a similar position as Paul faced when he was in Corinth. The first thing is that I think Paul recognized that the gospel spreads through our weakness and his strength. The gospel spreads through our weakness and through his strength. Paul recognized that he didn't have any wise or persuasive words. So when he came to the church in Corinth, all he had was a request that the Holy Spirit might demonstrate his power. 
And we have to recognize that that's exactly the same for us. When we face what's out there, when you face what's at work, when you face the challenge of how can I possibly bring good news to a hurting world like this, well, God chooses to use through weakness. He chooses to speak through weakness. He chooses to use the weak and foolish things of this world. That's what he does. Paul recognized that. The other thing that I think Paul recognized was that the message itself is enough. What he says was, I, when I came to you, I was resolved to know nothing. It's like he's come there, I've tried all the clever stuff, I've come to you, I'm, oh God, what am I going to do? I've, okay, I'm just going to know nothing except what? Except Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Do you know, that seems to me sometimes in the middle of our very complex city to be an incredibly naive truth to think that that's going to win anybody. To resolve to just know Christ and him crucified. Is that really enough? Is that really enough? Christ and him crucified? Well, Paul's testimony is yes. As he writes elsewhere, there is power in the gospel. That's his testimony as he's travelled around, as he goes on his third journey, and as he ends up in prison in Rome awaiting execution, his testimony is, oh yeah, there's power in the gospel for salvation, for all who believe, there's power in it. That's what he finds, that is his testimony. What is the power of the gospel? Well, let's just have a look. Bring up the next slide, Josh. And the next one. In a nutshell, it's this. There's God. And there's us. And we're separated from him. And we're separated by a gulf of sin that we can do nothing about. We're utterly separated from him. And the good news of the gospel is that in the middle there is Jesus who makes the bridge. He makes the bridge for us to make the, the journey from God to our separateness. And the reason that I just brought that up was because there is power in the gospel message. And sometimes I think it can be something really simple and practical that stops us getting to the point of giving the gospel message to somebody else. It's because we're not quite sure what we say, what our words should be. What... And actually, just something as simple as this has power. There's me, and I'm separated from God by my sin. There's God over there, and I can't bridge the gap. And the only one who can is God himself, and so he sends his son on the cross to bridge the gap, to stand in the gap, eternally in the gap. And it's as simple as that. And sometimes you hear about people who, are, who write it out on a serviette in a restaurant when they're talking to a friend and trying to explain it. It's, it's simple. In its simplest form, that's it. And there's power in the gospel. Now, that in and of itself holds no power at all. Because I can be in one situation where I can 
share something like that, and it will have no effect on the person whatsoever. But I can be in another situation where I'll share something like that, and the Holy Spirit begins to work. Because it's the Holy Spirit who does it. It's not wise or persuasive words. Do you feel disqualified to share your faith? Good. You are. You are. It's not wise or persuasive words. It's a simple message. And then it's the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Now, if I give my simple message and the person I'm giving it to is completely unaffected by it, well, maybe it's not their moment. I don't know why, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to give the message of the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit, he takes responsibility after that. And so I don't need to worry about whether it's been too simple and if I've shared it simply and there's no sort of response. Do, do I carry on? Do I, do I try again? Do I think of some, another more um, illustrative way to do it? Do I get another napkin and try and draw a different picture? No, probably not. Probably not, but you will know if the Holy Spirit is at work in that person's heart. And then the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say next. That's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't worry about what you should say. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It's good to know what to say first. But once you've done that bit, the Holy Spirit will do his work. And he will do his work in a twofold way. He will do it in the person's heart you're talking to. And he'll do it in you by giving you the words you should use next. That's what Paul learned, I think. The message is enough. There's power in the gospel. The message is enough. The other thing that I think we can draw from this is that Jesus knows when we're afraid and he comes to us. So I don't know how you feel about the prospect of sharing your faith. I don't know how you feel that moment where you think, Oh, this is a bit of a, is this an opportunity? Could I do it now? I don't know. What shall I do? I don't know how they feel at that moment. But, you know, it's, it's sort of okay to feel fear. Paul was afraid. He trembled. It's okay. If you're open, Jesus will come to you at that moment. So I think it's beautiful, the end of that passage that we read right at the start where it says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. And he's saying this to this man who's already planted loads of churches and, and he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be silent for I'm with you. No one will attack you to harm you. I have many in this city who are my people. He's saying, don't be afraid. Keep going. There's purpose in this. Don't feel overwhelmed. There's many in this city. When we're afraid, he comes to us. I'll tell you a little story. Um, you bring up the next slide, Josh. So that is a little village street that I walked down on Friday morning at about 10 past 8. And you can see that little white building there. And just beyond that uh, is the village pub. 
and you can see the church in the background. And then at that little white building, I then turned left. And I walked up this little lane. And it was an absolutely beautiful day. And uh, this was work, believe it or not. I was at work. Hey. Hey. And uh, I got to the end of the lane. And there was this little village school. And uh, I was visiting a student teacher on teaching practice and, uh, in this little village school. And it's got this lovely area around the front and uh, around the back it's got a big field and the trees and stuff you can see, well, they're just the start of the rolling hills. So you walk out of the school onto the field and then there's the hills. And, uh, and I went in and, uh, and I met the head. She was very nice. I've met her once before because I have visited this school once before. And uh, so it was very nice to see her. She was very friendly. She said, oh, there's tea in the pot. Help yourself. I thought, who makes tea in pots these days? But yeah, in the staff room, there was a pot of tea already made. <laughs> and so we could help ourselves to tea from the pot. And, uh, and I watched this student and do, do a very good lesson. And uh, it, was, it was all very lovely. And you know, I had a moment. <laughs> I had a moment. I thought, oh. Oh, this is nice, isn't it? Ooh, I could teach here. Good. And, uh, and then I came out of the school, and, uh, and I had a little bit of time on my hands, so I went for a little, a little wander. And, um, and on my way out, uh, just go up the, the next slide, uh, Josh, uh, that's the, a picture of the church you could see in the background in that first picture. And uh, that little school is a church school, so it is... Uh, connected with this church, this church. And on the school's website, there is a picture of all these little dots, as it's an infant school for children from three to seven. And there's a picture of all these little dots on the school's website holding their Christingle candle inside that church at Christmas. And I just thought, oh, that's rather nice, isn't it? And I looked at the notice board, and it said, it said, morning service, 10 o'clock, even song, 6 o'clock. Go to Evensong, and you could pop out and you'd go into the pub afterwards, couldn't you? You could have a drink afterwards. I thought, oh, this is really nice, isn't it? And I had a moment. And I did, I had a moment. I had a moment. When I got home, I looked on the website. Now, I didn't look on the website because I was seriously thinking about this. I was looked on the website because I knew I was going to talk about it today. And I looked on the website to see what house prices were like and what it costs to rent a house in that village. And... Mm, it's comparable with Brixton. It's the same, actually, as Brixton. <laughs> and then I got in the car, and I uh, had a meeting with Owen in the afternoon, so I drove back into Brixton. <laughs> I drove back into Brixton. <laughs> back into the complexity of the city uh, from this rural idyll. And I had a moment. I had a, I had a serious moment. Remind me again why I'm there. But we're here because he has people in this city. That's why we're here. And you know, I felt God come to me just like he came to Paul. As I'm, I'm not sure if I was feeling fear, but I suppose in a sort of a way it was fear. It was fear that, am I missing out, God, on what could be just a lovely life? 
here in this little village where I could teach in this little village school and go to Evensong at six o'clock on a Sunday and that might be it. I might just choose to go to Evensong for 20 minutes and then go to the pub. Am I missing out, God? I suppose that was the fear. Am I missing out by living there? I just felt a bit like Paul. I felt God come to me. And particularly, I felt him come to me yesterday. And yesterday, we were at this New Day meeting talking about the thousands of young people who are going to be together in the summer and the prophetic word that's been about this event, about changing young people's lives and about it spilling out. And I just I felt, oh, yeah, okay, God, you've come to me again. I know why I'm doing this. I know why I'm doing this. I know why I'm where I am. I know why. And you know, that might be a beautiful place to live. And I'm sure you could have a very nice life there. But if it's not the place where God wants you to be, it will, it will be worse than living in the worst slum imaginable. Because you'll be out of his will and purpose. And you'll just be anaesthetized. It'll be like having a shot in your arm to numb the pain so you don't feel it anymore. But actually the issue's still there. And I was really grateful, actually, that just God talked me back down again. And sometimes, you know, you might face that. We might face that as a church. We might face those thoughts. Why am I here? What is this about? Surely church is easier elsewhere than, you know, it's a bit tricky sometimes and we have to keep putting out the chairs. And What's it all about? Why am I here? You know, expect that God at those moments, which is really fear, that God will come to you. Ask him, God, come to me. Remind me. Remind me it's about you. Remind me that there's heaven for rest. <laughs> remind me that, that my name's written in heaven. Remind me that there are, you've gone to prepare a place for me. It'll be better than that even. Remind me. Expect him to come to you. <coughs> God is used to working in messy cities. He worked in Corinth to establish a vibrant church. It had its issues, but Paul loved that church. He worked in the city of Athens. He worked in Rome. He's worked in London. He continues to work in London. God is used to working in messy cities. We might sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed by it, he doesn't. He is used to working in messy, complex cities. Do you know what? I think when Paul left Corinth, the temple to Apollo and the temple to Aphrodite were still there. They were still there. If you'd looked from the outside, you would have said, nothing's happened in that city. Nothing's happened to change it at all. But God had established a vibrant church. God was about his work. His kingdom is not always visible to the outside audience. But he is about his work. And he's about his work in this city. And do you know what it says? I, I, like, I like it when the Bible does this. In that passage, it talks about a couple of individuals that came to faith. So it talks about, let's find their names, because do you know what? Names are important. People are important. Um, 
haven't got it here. here. But the Bible mentions a couple of names that came to faith in Corinth. And God does it bit by bit. And it says that first it was, oh, it was, yes, it was the, it was the synagogue leader, wasn't it? Crispus. First it was Crispus and his, and his household. And that's how it starts. And that's how he does it. And sometimes he brings revival, but sometimes he does it bit by bit. And yes, it's great to pray for revival. We haven't seen a revival in this country since about 1850, and boy, do we need it. And it's a good thing to pray for. But he also works bit by bit because he's interested in individuals and he's interested in households. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're identifying people. That's why we're writing names. That's why we're praying over them. That's why we're adding to them. Because God does it bit by bit. He's interested in individuals. He's interested in households. He was interested in you. He's not just interested in the masses. He's interested in every individual. And our call is to be a missionary church. You know what Paul did? He established missionary churches in outposts. And London needs missionary churches. And we are a missionary church. So let's take that responsibility seriously. When we're tempted to think it's all overwhelming, let's remember that he's used to working in messy cities. Let's expect that we'll feel weak, but that he is strong. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the power of the gospel. Uh, We're sorry for those times where we doubt it, where we think that the message is just too simple for our rather complex and sophisticated city. And uh, we want to come back to you this morning and declare to you we believe that there is power in the gospel. But we believe that it is your Holy Spirit who works through the simple words that we might bring. And we're asking you... Holy Spirit, to give us some wonderful stories to tell about when you do exactly that. We're asking that you'd come, that you would speak and work through us, that you will create for us divine appointments. Lord, we pray that you would do that. We're asking, our God, that you will, through this, your missionary church, add households, Add individuals, bit by bit, step by step, that the kingdom will continue to advance through what you do through us, through this church, through other churches in this area, through churches in this city. We're asking that you will continue to bring about the onward march of the kingdom of God in this city. We thank you that you're not overwhelmed by it. We pray you'd help us to to keep the faith when we feel overwhelmed by it. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and rest on us, dwell in us, bring about your perfect purposes and plans. For we believe that you have many people in this city. And 
it would be our, our greatest wish, Lord, to be part of your great process of bringing them to faith and into the church. We ask these things in your name and for your glory's sake. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.